the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Derek White has the steal. White trying to run. Jimmy Butler on him. He goes past him, runs it off the glass, and it falls in. Right hand dribble. Horford waiting for him. White got knocked down. Here's the steal. Ball knocked away from Struce by Horford. Outlet from pressure to White. Love to Tatum. Tatum left side three is good. He's got 31 in 30 minutes. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour. Adam Candy is the company. It's Cofield. Busy, busy day. Lots of NFL. We'll get you up to on in the NHL. We got NBA on the way a little later on with the uh, Warriors and the Mavs. What do you think, Candy? Are the Mavs going to put up some massive fight tonight? Could this be like that? Uh, I don't even know what game it was. Memphis and GSW game where uh, it turned into a uh, whoop that trick. Everyone's dancing. They got their ass kicked and this thing goes five. Yeah, I mean, Memphis is an infinitely more talented roster than Dallas. And I think that's a compliment to what Dallas has done to get this far. Uh, no, I, I don't expect Dallas to rise up. Uh, no more than I expected them to rise up in game three. And to the point of betting this game, if you have a belief in the Mavs, I think the way you go about this is betting some player props uh, on the Mavs and maybe go with some individual overs on points on assists, especially on three-pointers. Because I think there is a world in which Dallas shoots the ball better than it did from three-point range in game three and still loses this game. Mm. I need to bet, man. I need to bet. I've got four baseball games working, but I need to bet. I asked you earlier about the Rangers and the series plus 285 against the... Hurricanes. Let me look in play here. Ooh, Hurricanes plus 420 because the Rangers are up to nothing. I'm doing it. They're infinitely better. Should I do it? Now I'm getting apprehensive. You're not saying anything. Nice. Nice. What I like I do? that. Very what well done. Do? You, use, use it against me from earlier in the show. Canes, uh, Canes in game? Yeah. I'm not. No, I'm not betting the Canes in game. Canes in game. I think, here we go. Okay, there it is. Plus 420. All right, $1,000. Fade candy. There we go. Place bet. All right, it's in. That's how that's how quickly it happens, folks. That's the kind of discipline as uh, as I was dubbed the square chair years ago. That's how disciplined the square chair is. You know what? I if I become the bartender to you the way that the bartender is for our friend Sammy P, I would just be happy for your money. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. You notice I come in a lot of hours and I'm like, busy day, busy day. Like, I'm all fired up. We got the schedule stuff is coming out for football season. I'm already starting to lay things out, Candy. All the different plans are coming together, right? All the got a cross check and all the stuff with UNLV and the Raiders and VGK. And then there's the fights. Uh, did you see that Canelo will be going for a third fight against GGG, Triple G? It'll be on... September 17th, Mexican Independence Day, which is always a big weekend for us. It's not locked in that it's Vegas. The first two fights were in Vegas. They both did gates north of $20 million. Maybe someone comes in with a, you know, massive uh, buy price for the site and beats us out. If it is here on the 9-17 weekend, uh, right now for sports, we'd have North Texas. Don't let me finish it. Don't laugh. Okay, let me finish it. North Texas against UNLV at the Al. We'd also have the Cardinals and the Raiders the next day at the Al. And 
I think in between on that Saturday, you'd have Canelo and Triple G at T-Mobile. That's a pretty nice weekend. That's that is. I know that I know Indianapolis for the combine, as we heard, brings in nine point six million dollars of economic value to the market for the combine. I think that'll be bigger than a nine point six million dollar weekend for Las Vegas, the weekend of September seventeenth and eighteenth. Rest in peace to Alejandro Fernandez, uh, by the way, the famous. I'm sorry, Vicente Fernandez, uh, the the famous uh, music star. Uh, who used to perform in Las Vegas every Mexican Independence Day weekend. And I would always know that my birthday was getting close by when the billboards went up uh, for the concert because that's the uh, same weekend as my birthday. Steve, I checked one schedule to find out whether or not we're getting the Triple G Canelo fight. Do you know what I checked? No. What schedule elsewhere in the United States did I check? I went to check the schedule at Gerald World. Because oh, I wanted no. to see, are the Cowboys home that weekend? Because if there is one place that might go ahead and steal that fight, I would think it's probably Jerry World. Uh, the Cowboys have a home game on September 18th against the Bengals. So that might be enough to keep the fight out of Dallas because I think that's probably your prime contender. Yeah, all right. I'm happy about that. Now, the reason I said, let me finish before you start laughing Um you do realize that North Texas against UNLV at Allegiant on a Saturday and the Cardinals and Raiders on a Sunday at Allegiant, probably unlikely. Uh, why, Steve? Is there a, is well, there some sort of is there some sort of animosity there between UNLV I, and the Raiders hosting games on the same weekend? I animosity. I just think it's the oh. way the deal was forged in the first place. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, if there were animosity, actually the two figures who there may have been some animus between are actually both gone. Um, but I'll ask you, do you think, because there's three times this upcoming football season where there's a Saturday-Sunday back-to-back with UNLV at home and the Raiders at home, do you think any of those will have UNLV playing on a Saturday? Highly doubtful, and the reason is, I mean, if you look back at any version of the lease between UNLV and the Raiders, there is a minimum required amount of time in there that the Raiders have to have in order to turn the stadium over and get it ready for one of their games so no i would expect that you get some of those vaunted uh friday night eight o'clock cbs sports network kickoffs uh for unlv you know as we uh as we welcome in rich walls and jason taylor for another friday night showdown between san jose state and unlv which i don't think is a terrible thing for UNLV and their chances to win the game as long as it's not a short week after a devastating opponent the week before, which won't be the case, I don't think, with North Texas following the Cal game. Um, I don't think they'll get slaughtered by Cal. I guess mark that one down, right, UNLV? Um, but I will say if, it, if it's – did you mention the time if it's a Friday night? It, there are spots where if it's on Friday night – well, I guess more accurately, probably Thursday night. If it's like an 8 o'clock start, that does not help the attendance does not help yeah that's a solid way of putting it i mean all right i'm being nice I mean, yeah and, and look i'm not even saying uh, you're a unlv homer i'm saying like i don't want to go to the game when it's that late on a weeknight I, I you know my my beauty sleep is vital to me and so i see a thursday uh, 8 30 kick and i think to myself no sir my uh my mud mask is going to be on by halftime grandpa candy number four uh decision day is coming up for donovan williams June 1st is when these guys have to give a heads up. Hey, we're staying in the draft or we're going back to play college. Uh, I just saw 
Donovan Williams tweeted out earlier today. I think we retweeted it. Our uh, vast uh, social media crew retweeted it up on uh, ESPN Las Vegas. He was working out uh, yesterday. Let's see. Update from Jake Weingarten, who's been the guy who's been all over this from uh, Stock Risers. Says uh, Donovan Williams, Mountain West Six Man of the Year, will work out with uh, Houston, Orlando, Utah, Miami um, coming up. So he already worked out with the Cavs. All right, so how are we feeling on this? What do you think? By the way, I should throw out there. I don't know if you saw it, Candy, but we talked about it last week. Donovan Williams did do some sort of a kind of a testimonial for a couple of casinos in Henderson. So I think a lot of people looked at that and they're like, oh, he's coming back. You know, Vegas market, Vegas Henderson, he's coming back. So what do you think? I think that that was one of the strangest interactions between a local athlete and a business that I've seen in a very long time. It was one of those where the first time I saw it, I kind of like dog head to the side, tilted thing like, huh? Am I seeing this correctly? Uh, so yeah, I can understand why people would infer that maybe uh, that's a good sign for Donovan Williams' chances of staying in Las Vegas. For me, it was just like a callback to the days of Fred from GMF Motors. You know, like, like seeing those commercials that <laughs> are only locally possible. Uh, right now, if you're Donovan Williams, if you get anything less than a low round one grade, you, you better be thinking about pulling back because I can't imagine that any NBA team right now is going to give him a first round guarantee based on what we saw at the end of the season from Donovan Williams. Not about skill level but about physical preparedness. Okay, so give me gut feeling. What happens? Uh, I think Donovan Williams pulls out. I am still endlessly fascinated by whether Donovan Williams ends up back in UNLV. Yeah, I think uh, if I were to put percentages on it, this is just a wild guess. Um, 60% NBA, 20% another school, 20% UNLV. You really think that sixty percent for NBA? Okay, all right. That's that's a strong uh, that's a strong majority there. Yeah, I've, I've thought that all along, and now that we're seeing you know more and more of these workouts tweeted out there, um, to your point about hey, he's got to have some guarantees that he's going to go in the first round. I don't think that he needs guarantees that he's going to go in the first round. You think he's willing to go for a non-guaranteed second-round contract? All right. That, that, I mean, and that's a bet on yourself. If that's how Donovan Williams feels, no, no malice toward him. Like, if you want to bet on yourself and go that way, but that is a hard road, man. That is a hard road for a guy who is quite talented, showed huge flashes of upside, but, man, the downside that was there is something that I think you can't, you can't get rid of that film. Number three. Boy, oh boy. Boy, those rims are nice at Mandalay Bay, huh? It ain't just the rims. It's the team. The aces are awesome. Last night, they went out, maybe Max motivated because they were facing uh, their former teammate who uh, did tell the New York Times that I guess she wasn't comfortable here and she's now being supported, Liz Cabbage. Um, they went out last night and mauled the Sparks. 104-76. They're 7-1 and one now. 18 threes made in the game. Ties a single-game record for the WNBA. The Aces are kicking booty. Oh, man. Bill Lambeer is just rolling over in his grave seeing the Aces shooting 18 threes. I want three centers all standing in a line next to each other. And each time down the floor, we will take a turn throwing the ball to one of them. Rawr. I don't know about the growl at the end. Well, but You know, you know. The, the, the funny thing is, uh, they had a Lambeer day uh, last week. He was in attendance, and I thought he was really gracious, Bill Lambeer, when Willie Ramirez talked to him. 
And he actually said outright, he's like, my time was up. This team needed to go with a different approach. Becky Hammond's doing a really good job. I was just, I was done. And he was super pleased that they're going up and down the floor. Um, it is, it's rare. It's rare when a coach walks away and then sees the next person come in and they're like, you know what? I see it. I see it. I thought that was cool by Lambeer. I mean, look, Bill Lambeer comes from an era of basketball where he coached that team in the same manner that his teams played. And no, I'm not talking about bad boy Pistons with the elbows, etc. I'm yep. talking about you were a big man on a team centered around the big men. Even when they had Isaiah Thomas, you still had a lot of big men on that team. Spider Sally and Mahorn and so on, so on. And so, yeah, it is time for a new approach. And Becky Hammond's Look, it's been great. And and just as a quick aside, the the quality of play in the WNBA this year in particular has been outstanding. I, as someone who would just, I'd pay enough attention to the Aces to cover them the last few years. Um, I have found myself way more interested in just casually on a random night, picking up a WNBA game for a while and watching just because I think the quality of play has improved so much in the last few years. I But I also, I think you're very much onto something and I, I don't think the rest of the league is completely caught up with this. Um, I believe Becky Hammond is coming in here and teaching FIBA basketball based off of her experience with the Spurs. So for the other teams, if you want to roll out, you know, Sylvia Fowles, who's, you know, 6'7", 220 pounds, or um, Cambridge, who's 6'8", and 217 pounds. And the reason I mentioned the weight is if you look on the roster for the Aces, they have a lot of fours, right? They really don't have true centers. And all their bigs, are a little bit sleeker and they run and run and run run and run their bigs can shoot threes and i think they're gassing the opposition who have true bigs because that's the way women's basketball has been as you hey if you have an opportunity to get someone who's six five to six eight or you know six nine in the case of Brittany griner you do it but this team plays so fast you saw it man well first of all they, they started out hot they scored 39 points in the first quarter and by the by the end of the game um liz cambage was on the bench and she had 10 points and the reason you see this is because at the college level, you still can dominate with a big or multiple bigs in women's college basketball. The talent pool is deepening, but it has been shallow for a long time. And one dominant big can take you a long way in the college game. Well, as the talent pool gets deeper internationally and for our American players going into the WNBA, you're seeing a more international style game, a more positionless forward-thinking game in the WNBA, and that's part of why I think it's more fun to watch now. And a great example, like Kalani Brown, really good prospect, P.J. Brown's daughter, right? But she she is a true big, and we're seeing it in the NBA. This coming draft, if you put, let's go back to 19, I'm going to pull a, a, a year out of my rear end here, 1986. If you put Kofi Coburn at seven foot and 295 pounds of muscle in the 86 draft. He's Benoit Benjamin, too. People are falling over themselves to get him. Go back basketball, to basketball now. You you got you got someone who is, you know, a true gigantic big. Most teams are like, I don't know, man. I don't know if you can run up and down the floor. I don't know if you can defend the way we want you to. Look, go back to 84. Go back to 84 when it goes Olajuwon Bowie. Sam Bowie. Can you imagine Sam Bowie getting tr even drafted in the first round of today? Number two. Okay, we hit on it last hour, and it's been a story. 
the last couple of weeks. And I know Belichick mocked on the media because that's what he likes to do. But there is something weird here going on with the Patriots and the fact that Belichick wants to keep who his play caller is going to be a big secret. And I don't know if this is, hey, this is the mastery, the genius of Bill Belichick, or if in a little bit of a way, this is sort of a childish pushback to the fact that he lost his security blanket. He lost his guy of whatever it is the last, you know, 15 or 14 of 17 years in Josh McDaniels as the OC. What is he doing here in, in, in shrouding his play caller in mystery? It's really hard to say. The best we can do is speculate because it's Belichick, right? It's Bill Belichick. He plays this game with the media whenever he wants to, and the organization's not going to say anything to him about it. The NFL is not going to be saying anything to him about it. And so, you know, I think there are some people who will probably cover up for Belichick and saying, well, he found the new market inefficiency, right? You don't want to give away who's going to be calling plays. You don't want to know what their system is. You don't want to be able to look at their footprint and be able to see who it is. Look, man, we watched your offense last year with Mac Jones. It wasn't exactly rocket science what you guys were trying to do, running and running and running and keeping the throws simple for Mac Jones. And that was with the offensive coordinator you'd had for the past 10 years who has adjusted to whatever you happen to have thrown at him. And I think we could all buy it if there were multiple like bright young minds in the room. You didn't want to put too much pressure on anybody. Bro, stop throwing Matt Patricia and Joe Judge at us. Stop it. Don't throw a guy who is A, a failed head coach in both their cases, and B, one who was a defensive coordinator for you and one who was a special teams coach for you at us and say, well, they might be calling plays. And then have them have to go out there and do interviews and make it sound like, well, we're all going to have input. Just stop. This is this is not the way that you are going to hack what is wrong with your roster or what you think everyone else knows about everyone else. Oh, well, he's from the Shanahan tree. Oh, he's from the McVeigh tree. Oh, he's from the Andy Reid tree. Well, guess what? We know that a lot of offensive coordinators are from those trees, and no one's been able to stop those offenses. Coming up, we got some interesting stories on the official front, including a former Raider who's getting into officiating. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Lots to get to. We'll uh, hit a little college basketball before we get out of here. As uh, news just in that uh, Reno's Grant Sherfield has transferred to the former Kruger hotspot, Oklahoma. So I'll give you a little feedback on that one. But the, the pack point guard is now headed towards the Big 12. Uh, interesting story that you found on Mike Morton, Candy. Um, you know, it's always uh, a challenge for NFL players, pro athletes. Hey, once I'm done, what the hell am I going to do? I'm not old. I got like 30 more years. I can work, probably need to work in a lot of cases. So what's going on here? Well, Mike went on to a fairly successful second career uh, in the first place, uh, becoming a dentist. But he also was drawn into staying around the game by officiating. Uh, 
I can speak from experience. It's one way that you can sort of stay around what you've always loved uh, in a different capacity and give back in a certain way. Yes, you are going to eventually make some sort of money off it. But trust me, at the beginning, when you're making $15, $20 a game, you're not really profiting much off this enterprise. But he got hooked to the point where he followed it through youth games, through high school games, through college games. And guess what? This year, he's going to be an NFL official. And that is no small feat. And not the first time we've ever seen it. I mean, Haywood Workman uh, in the NBA went from being a player to being an official. Uh, We've seen it before where uh, it can be a path where players who often have the best insight into the mind of what's going on of the players on the field can be some of the best communicators. They know how to talk to fellow players. They know how to know what certain players are trying to get away with because they were the guy trying to get away with it at one point. They can make great officials, but he had some very interesting quotes talking about how he just hopes that people can be more understanding of officials. Talks about how you make nothing coming up, how he really enjoys the fact that there's a small community that you know kind of reaches up and supports each other. Um, and I'm not going to get deep into this, Cofield. I know we don't have the time, but uh, go check out the Las Vegas Sun Sports section right now. And you'll see a story about a local referee. Uh, I know him. I know the people that he works with who could use your support uh, right now who are dealing with a pretty tough situation that happened to them not that long ago. And so I think, you know, Mike's looking for that same kind of attitude from people to say, hey, you know, I, I decided to take this on and I hope people can be understanding that no i'm not against the raiders i'm not gonna be for the raiders i'm just here to you know to make the calls and and to do right by the game so good story by vic tafer over at the athletic dial it down on the ref stuff and when we bring it up a lot on this show and the fact that you're a pretty experienced ref over the years um you give us that perspective but in general uh, i think everyone can you know step back and go my god we're being lunatics at times over these officials it's not an easy job um, I've gained a little more perspective the last couple of years, you know, being up close to uh, both UNLV football and UNLV basketball and a little bit of UNLV uh, Lady Rebel basketball. And, um, you know, even even the most uh, talked about officials in the Mountain West Conference on the men's side, you know, Bill Clinton ref and Eric Curry is his name and uh, and David Hall and, and others. You, you know, you, you see things when you see them more often up close, like it's all relaxed. Uh, it's, I, I know this. It's certainly a job I could not do. Like I, do, I don't have the attention. To, to pay attention to a game um, that much. And it's so bang, bang. And even the reviews aren't easy. No, I mean, let me be honest. The, the reviews are some of the hardest things that we do because the rules around reviews are so much more complicated than the rules around just calling plays. So a guy, uh, you know, uh, like Mike, who's going back and becoming an NFL official, talks about how when you're training officials and when you're bringing them up through the high school ranks and the the small college ranks, you don't even have replay. You're just trying to get it right in the moment on the field when you have a million things to try to think about. So, you know, look, I get it. You pay your money. You want to tell the ref that he sucks. We've all heard it before. That call sucked. That was terrible. Whatever. We get it. But when you cross the line into what we saw recently here in Vegas with someone getting attacked in a parking lot, you are way over the line. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Well, what plays are we calling? Many camp plays. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. 
We're going to coach the team, coach the players. We're going to get them ready to go. We're going to game plan. We have to game plan. We'll play call. All the things that we need to do and compete in games right now. We're months away from that. When we get to it, we'll get to it. Now, back to Cold and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. He is the best mumbler in the game, Bill Belichick, playing games with uh, who's going to call the plays for the Patriots. I'm going to break the mold. Break the mold. We're not going to find out. Game day decision, week one. Who's going to be my OC? He's changing everything about the game, including uh, allowing his quarterback last year to carry like an extra 40 pounds. And good reports out of Patriot land now. Mac Jones doesn't have a belly anymore. So everything's on the upswing in New England. We know Belichick drives me nuts. He is a genius. He's got a lot of equity. Let's talk a little NFL. Let's talk uh, about the Chargers, specifically division rival of the Raiders. Adam Candy's here. It's Steve Cofield. Greg Camarillo is on the horn. He covers the Chargers, a Stanford guy, a West Coast guy. What's up? Hey, fellas, how we doing? We're good. We're good. I don't know if you've uh, gotten wind of any of the Belichick stuff with his refusal to actually name who's going to be calling plays. What do you think he's trying to do here? Uh, he's just Belichick, man. Nothing comes out of there from a player or a coach. Uh, my only guess is he doesn't want you to start looking into tendencies of people that have called the plays. So if you say, you know, Joe Schmo is calling the plays, other teams are going to dig into the last 10 years of what plays Joe Schmo has called. Uh, he doesn't want you to have that advantage. So he is going to keep his mouth shut until we see someone on the sidelines with a play sheet calling plays. So as a response, should other teams follow? Like, should the Chargers fire Joe Lombardi and then announce that he's back last week of August? <laughs> I would love that just just to throw a little <laughs> Belichick at Belichick. Uh, I mean, is it that serious? No, it's not that serious, man. But the, you know, that's what that's what the Patriots do, and you know, apparently, apparently, it works. If you combine all the things that Belichick does, he wins games. So you know, we'll let him play Belichick and and be the man he is. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us in Vegas is what is going to happen without Josh McDaniels. Like, how good was Josh McDaniels, or is he just part of? the Patriot machine and can be replaced pretty easily. Um, you know, he, he obviously is talented because we've seen him have the success. Uh, but you know they're going to they're gonna go next man up, and it's not as though Belichick can't call plays. Like, he's seen enough football where he can get guys in the right position at the right time. Uh, no, honestly, I'm actually excited to see what Josh Daniels does with this Raiders offense. Uh, Devontae Adams, as a, as a former wide receiver, I am in love with Devontae Adams and the things he does on the field because he is the full wide receiver. Um, so I am excited to watch him uh, with the new quarterback, with his guy from college, and to let them build on that chemistry and to, you know, to watch what that offense does. Yeah, what do you think defenses are going to do in terms of picking and choosing who to give a little extra help to with Adams and Waller and Renfro around? Well, you can't. That's the, that's the fun part about it is, uh, you have to double Devontae. You cannot. You leave him single covered. Carr is a good enough quarterback to, to find him every time. Um, so you can't. And you can't just focus on one guy. Um, and that's, that's what's going to make it fun. Because, you know, you, we've seen Renfro tear people up in, in, you know, in the slot. And then Waller, you know, this guy is such an animal that you, you even put two guys on him. All you got to do is throw it up. So that's, what, that's what's making it so difficult. And you've seen you know, teams like the Chargers, they're drafting quarterbacks, they're signing quarterbacks, they're drafting safeties. To try to figure it out, uh, and when it comes to it, it's going to be 
just matchups. You're going to have to see what your DB can do because there's going to be situations where they're going to have to man up against one of those Pro Bowl guys. Um, but that's what you know. That's that's how it should be, and that's what makes it fun because we want to see points, we want to see catches, we don't want to see double teams that just stop offenses, and then we got games that are three to three. That's not exciting. We want to see 35, 28, and I think we're going to get that out of the AFC West. Talking NFL here on this Tuesday, Cofield and Company. Greg Camarillo is with us, of course, a former Charger, Dolphin, Viking, and Saint Pac-12 guy. Uh, I want to mention San Diego State in a couple minutes, but uh, on the Chargers, uh, first of all, what do you think about the NFL booking the opener to basically match what the closer was last year at the end of the season, where the Chargers came up short in that exciting game? That is a hell of an opener for both teams, Raiders and Chargers. Yeah, I love it. It keeps the excitement going, and um, you know we see that also with the. Uh, opener with the Chiefs and the Bills. Are they playing early on? Or am I, am I messing that one up? I might be messing we'll that one up. But um, I, I, love, I love the way they do that because it, it builds on the hype from last year. They know that they can, you know, the emotions are still high. Fans remember that game. They're still still hurt from that. Um, what an a, a awesome game that was at the end of last year. Whoever decided to schedule that, that Raiders-Chargers game at the end, and it just worked out where it was a win, a loss, or a tie had such a ripple effect through the NFL. It was amazing. It was made for an awesome playoff-like uh, environment. And that's, that's why the schedule release has even become a, a media frenzy, because tiny little things like that impact the entire season, and it just makes it fun to watch. Greg, I was on record here on the show yelling about loving the tie. I loved that whole scenario around the tie. And it's because, yeah. you know, I, I'm yeah. a reporter. I want chaos, right? I, I'm not a player on the field out there trying to win and get my team to the playoffs. What do you think you would have thought being a player in the situation knowing that that tie scenario was out there? Well, it wasn't the best. I loved it. I was right, right there with you. So excited that there were three outcomes. When normally there's not, you know, that doesn't really excite you. Uh, I'd love just the question mark of, what will a coach do uh, in that situation? And we literally got to the last couple plays with that is still a huge question mark. Will a coach buddy-buddy and take this tie? Um, so I love the drama. As a player, you want to win. Clearly you put everything into winning, but also you know I'm going to go to the playoffs if we tie. Well, maybe that's not such a bad, not such a bad thing after all. So. Um, obviously you're out there trying to win, but the ultimate goal is to make the playoffs and you can win a championship. And if a tie does that, you know, then so be it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would have been a blast, and we got really close to it, but uh, obviously didn't play out that way. So the Raiders go to the playoffs. They lose in the first round. The Chargers are left to kind of ponder with this offseason, and in a lot of ways they decide to run it back with the offense with some additions from the draft on the offensive line. It's the defense where they went out and made the big splashes. Uh, when you came away from watching that Chargers season last year, w- were you more concerned about them making changes to the offense or to the defense the way they did this offseason? To the defense, and you, you totally nailed it. They ran it back with the offense. Uh, something that's not gotten as much press as it should is them re-signing Mike Williams. This dude went nuts at the end of the season. He made every play to keep their season alive when he needed it. Uh, they re-signed him. He got a lot of money, deservedly. And so they ran it back with offense. Just like you said, it, the defense was a problem, and they could not stop the run. Um, and so they have invested um, in guys like Joseph Day from the Rams up front, uh, Khalil Mack to get after quarterbacks. They signed a couple linebackers 
um, to plug up the middle, drafted a DB, signed a DB, drafted a safety. Like, you know, they did everything they can to shore up that defense because, you know, it, the NFL is about high-powered offenses. Um, and they have one, but they couldn't do enough to stop people. Um, and so that's what they did. They, they invested properly uh, to keep up with the AFC race because it was an arms race. And I'm excited, not just as a former Charger, but, you know, as someone living on the West Coast, getting to see a lot of those games, I am excited to watch the AFC West. I'll tell you what, what I think the Chargers have done pretty impressively the last couple of years is rebuild that offensive line. You draft Rayshon Slater, Corey Lindsley comes over from Green Bay. Now you add in Zion Johnson, a first round pick for them, and you've rebuilt it effectively. And frankly, I think the when you look at the division, it's only the Raiders that have some question marks on the offensive line. Wait, 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 wait. You, let me, I got to jump in here. I got, what, no, I got to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, because I think both, I actually think the char- like the Chargers and Raiders spent a lot of money on different areas, and the Chargers had more money because their quarterback makes less. But both teams yeah. have have an issue at right tackle. Okay, you, I mean, if you want to go one by one along the rest of the line and decide and tell me oh, which good. player you'd rather have, no, there's no, <laughs> there no, are four no, other spots. No. There's no doubt the Raiders O line has more question marks than okay. You're, okay, you're right. thank you, but 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 I do appreciate you yelling your opposition about Storm Norton <laughs> into the microphone. Thank you, I appreciate so, that. All right, so, all right, so know, let me let me leave I, that. I will, I will admit it. As a former wide receiver, I, I don't focus all that much on offensive line. It's just good or bad, but I don't you know break down into person's butt. But I will tell you this: <laughs> I, I went to a a gathering of former NFL players. We had a media workshop where they took us to NFL films and you know, showed us. Um, all different forms of media and showed, introduced us to the experts. And one of the questions for debate was, rank the teams in the AFC West. And this is current and former players. Nobody agreed. And that's what, what that I love about what's going on in the offseason. Some guys had the Raiders on top. Some guys had the Chiefs on bottom. Some guys had Russell Wilson right there in the front. Some guys, Denver's too much of a question mark. I put them at the bottom. And that's what I love. It's exciting. No one can really nail it down and say this is an obvious front runner. Um, and that's what, that's what makes the offseason so exciting when we have you know, there's no games. We're not catching, we're not seeing any footballs being caught, we're not seeing any tackles, but the offseason is fun, especially in AFC West because they've been mixing everything up. Greg Camarillo is with us, a former wide receiver in the National Football League. Have you had a chance to uh, get over to take a look at uh, what is it, Snapdragon Stadium for San Diego State? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I work at San Diego State, and so I, I drive by the stadium um, daily. And so I've gotten to watch them tear down Qualcomm, which was, you know, I've got some nostalgia because I played there, but man, that thing was a dump, so I'm glad they knocked it over. <laughs> uh, yes, there is a beautiful stadium going up, um, and it's what, what my city needs because we don't have a professional football team anymore, so we need to uh, get behind these Aztecs and enjoy the new stadium and have fun. It'll be interesting to see how good San Diego State is if they've finally uh, cured or solved the quarterback quandary. Well, they got a, a stable of quarterbacks um, and a transfer that's a proven proven vet who looks to be the starter after spring ball. Um, so you know they have they have invested in trying to solve that problem, and uh, I hope they did. Yeah, uh, we had Austin Eckler on a couple weeks ago, and I bounced off of him um, what it's like playing for. Brandon Staley, and I don't know if I've run this one by you, but, but I talk about it all the time, that I think the league is in a transition here, and they're still kind of caught in between of kind of what do you want your coach to be? Do you want him to be traditional football guy, you know, big galoot, kind of 
you know, emotional a dude like Dan Campbell, or do you want Mike McDaniel or Slater? And he he raved. Um, Staley, I'm sorry. He raved. Eckler raved about just how smart Staley is from a football standpoint. Yeah. How do you think it's going to go for him this year? Does he if if he's not making if they're not converting all the fourth downs this year? Yeah. Does Staley stick with it, or does he? kind of learn his lesson and go, hey, we're not executing. Maybe we need to play a little more traditional football. Yeah, and the way it happened last year was super interesting because they went for it on almost all fourth downs where you had a a glimmer of hope, and it worked early on. And I think that's because it surprised some people. And then as the year went on, they stopped converting them, and it really hurt them. Um, So it It is his brand. It's what he does. He goes for it. At some point, you got to look at it and just say it's not working, if it's not working. But as an offensive player, I would have loved that. Keep me out there. Let's give this a shot. Have some faith in your players and let's roll. And I'm, I'm hoping, I'm assuming that their offense feels the same way. It's, it's just trust. Coach, trust us to get it done. Put the ball in my hands. And with a guy like Herbert at the helm, you're going to get the right decisions made. So, you know, I hope he sticks to his brand and I hope it works out for him. Yeah, I thought a lot of it came down to play calling and execution, and there were a bunch of times where, you know, they tried to run and jam it up the middle with a smaller guy like Eckler, and I thought it was I thought it was interesting in the draft that they actually went out and drafted two more running backs. One guy goes 215, the other guy's a monster fullback from Purdue, goes like yeah. 230. But I wonder, in a, you know, in their rookie season when you've got all this on the line where you're going for, going for it on fourth downs if you're going to give it off to a, a rookie because he's much bigger than Eckler. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the trend we've seen in the, in the NFL is it just draft a, draft a running back because it's going to work out generally all right. Trying to pay a veteran doesn't always work out because they, they're beat up and get, and get hurt. And the drop-off in talent really isn't all that all that different. Uh, and so you, you draft a couple running backs and hope one gets hit home so you don't have to keep paying guys like Eckler, even though he's earned that money. But you're right, they needed a big body or through. Uh, and they also had some fumbles in key situations last year on, on um, goal line runs or fourth and one runs that really hurt them. Um, so you would think they drafted guys that are going to be secure with that ball in a short yard situation. So, Greg, what do you got cooking for the next couple of months? Anything uh, we uh, we need to promote? What do you have going on? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. I got a, a podcast, Two Pros and a Joe, teamed up with a former teammate, Marcus McNeil, who's a left tackle. So, he would love to break down your question of position-by-position position offensive line comparisons. Um, go check us out wherever you get your podcast, Two Pros and a Joe. Uh, and then I started a nonprofit to work with high school student-athletes called the Athlete Academy. So theathleteacademy.org, um, trying to help um, athletes in underserved communities find their way to college and support them on that journey. Um, so if anyone's inter- interested in that, check, check out the website. Thank you. That was an awesome spot. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you closer to football season. Have a good summer. Cool. Appreciate it, fellas. There he is. Greg Camarillo, uh, four stops in the NFL wide receiver, Stanford guy, and uh, Candy, I apologize for uh, jumping in on you when you were setting up your offensive line point. Um, A couple of things off of that. One, if the Chargers nailed it with their right guard pick, along with Slater last year, it also shines a light on the Raiders, and I know it's not this regime that drafted Leatherwood, but he has to come through and be at least salvageable at guard or tackle. It's massive. I mean, look, the right tackle ship has probably sailed 
Although I think there's a good article right now uh, from Ted Wynn over at The Athletic. He sat down with Mike Tice, the former Raiders offensive line coach, and they broke down player by player on the line who he has faith in for the future and who he is a little bit shaky on. He said he thinks Leatherwood could still make it as a pretty good guard in the NFL. He said maybe about him kicking back out to tackle. And I think the sooner the Raiders accept, okay, maybe Alex Leatherwood can be our right guard and just go with that and fix tackle, then I think the better off they'll be in the long run. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, one more thing on the offensive line discussion and the off-seasons of the Chargers and the Raiders. So, I would say the Raiders have question marks at defensive back. We'll have to see what they're going to do at linebacker. And as Candy was focusing on O-line. We brought up the Chargers. Chargers had a lot more money because, you know, Herbert doesn't make a whole whole bunch right now. So they went, you know, big baller on defense, Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson. Um, and as I pointed out, the right tackle position is still in flux for the Chargers. And the reason um, I think it's a great storyline for us on this show is if you've noticed, the Chargers have been scooping up or at least trying to scoop up offensive linemen anytime they're free. Like, they're just trying to throw, you know, six, seven, 300-pound guys at the wall and hope something's going to stick. So what it means is after June 1st, I believe, and, you know, listen, everyone's going to be looking for help, cheap help, you know, bargain basement help. Uh, the Raiders and the Chargers are going to go head-to-head, Candy, on some prospects at right tackle. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, from the Raiders' perspective, you don't have much of a choice but to throw as many bodies at this as possible because yep. you chose to prioritize elsewhere this offseason. And look, you can't say it's right or wrong. If you have a chance to get Devontae Adams, I'm on record. I think they probably gave up too much in terms of compensation plus contract. But if that's your strategy, then you have to go all in on making that offense work. And right now, you have one position on that offensive line that you feel comfortable with. Colton Miller is the only position where you can say, we are set. We don't need competition. We are good to go. Denzel Good is coming back off an ACL injury. Andre James was a mixed bag last year. Brandon Parker has not been great. John Simpson has really not been great. Alex Leatherwood was a disaster. And Jermaine Illuminor looked good in moments, but that was for four games. So right now, you are in danger of submarining the best group of offensive talent that this team has had in a long, long time by not being able to protect the quarterback. Yep. And it's funny, when you read you know, the Raider blogosphere twittersphere and they're they're beside themselves many of them like how can we be picked for fourth in the division after we've added this 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 it will the the the, one of the keys to make the machine work on offense is the o-line like you can't just ignore it and go into you know this key period coming up i mean I, i read someone the other day wrote the raiders are ready to move forward with what they have they they really can't be at certain positions, they've got to bring in more competition. And look, we're not saying it's doom for the Raiders with what they have. Just the same way that New England ended up coaching up a lot of Bill, what Bill Belichick was supposedly overdrafting on the offensive line to consistently have very good offensive linemen, maybe they can do the same thing here. But what they don't have is 
maybe the best offensive line coach of all time in Dante Scarnecchia, what they do have is hopefully some scheme fits that will help protect some of these guys. So we're not saying anyone who's not Colton Miller is not going to be good for the Raiders this year. But to take chances, essentially, at four positions on the offensive line, when you have signaled with the Devontae Adams trade and the car extension that you are all in on now is a major roll of the dice for Ziegler and company. Stick your hand in there, Dave. And I did mention a little while ago the transfer portal still continues to churn in college basketball. Certainly in college football, there's plenty of players still in the portal. But Grant Sherfield's a really interesting get for Oklahoma. He's a guy who averaged 19 points a game on a you know on a Reno team that was very toxic. And I, there's two ways this could go because I think Grant Sherfield takes some ridiculously terrible shots. I mean, I I've called him you know one of the best bad shot makers in college basketball. That's not a good thing. Um, this could go one of two ways. He could go and be undisciplined with Oklahoma, and they're like, all right, dude, we, we can't have you out there for 30 minutes. Or he has a coach who actually refines his game. I think Grant Sherfield might have been a product of what was going on at Nevada where there was no one else to shoot the ball, and there were times he felt a lot of pressure to be the offense for the Wolfpack. And so I, I think that's going to go the way of making him a more disciplined player at Oklahoma. Danny, great job. Make sure you listen to or check out lvsportsnetwork.com for that press box interview with VGK star Riley Smith.